Our Old Testament reading today is from Job 38, 4 through 11, 39, 1 through 4, 40, 1 through 5. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. The word of the Lord. Over these last few weeks, we've been thinking together about um, sort of the particulars of the mission of of this church. And just kind of the fundamentals and some of the basics about, about who we are. We've been thinking about that uh, through the mission of this church, which is to glorify God in Greenville by proclaiming and embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship and through welcome and through wonder. And so we've talked in these last few weeks about what is this good news of Jesus? What is this gospel? And we've thought about the, the prominence and the place of worship in our lives, that we're created for worship. And you remember we went with John into the throne room of God, and we started there to get this glimpse of God on his throne and the one standing behind, beside him like a lamb who was slain and the hordes and the multitudes from every tribe, tongue, and nation around him worshiping. And we remember that this morning, like what we're doing here, is we're joining our voices together and we're bringing those voices into that very same throne room this morning and declaring that he is God and he is on his throne. We talked about what that means for if we we catch a glimpse of that and we come here this morning and we say that's really what we're doing, that we have been welcomed by Jesus so that we will stand one day before that throne without any fear without guilt, without shame, because we're clothed in his righteousness, then what that means is, um, as Paul tells us, to welcome one another as Jesus has welcomed you. That we go out and we listen, we watch Philip as he goes to this 
person, this Ethiopian eunuch who was nothing like him, who is different in every way, but he listens to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and he goes and he talks to this man who is deeply interested in God. And this man wants to know these questions about Jesus. And at that moment, this man comes in. He's welcomed into that family. So this morning, we're, we're finishing uh, this short little series by looking at this last kind of avenue of our mission, which is wonder. And the other two might feel kind of um, cut and dry, and wonder might feel a little more esoteric, right? What does that mean? How does wonder proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus. But what I want us to think about this morning, and I think there's a million ways we can talk about this, is that wonder is on every page of the Bible. And the problem for us is that we go through lives very distracted, um, very busy, uh, very much along the lines of just kind of getting the next thing done and wonder is, is something that opens our eyes to these other things we've already talked about. It keeps them ever before us. So that we're people who live um, in a state of awe um, because of what God has done and who he is. And so this morning we're going to use Job as sort of a, spring, a springboard to talk about that. Um, there's a lot of passages we could go to. Um, but Job gets sort of escorted in by God himself to gaze at who God is. And so before we do that, let me, um, let me pray for us. Father, we, um, in many ways, we're, we're capable of so much and we're fairly sufficient people. Um, we like to live our lives not necessarily dependent on anyone else. We want to be self-sufficient. And yet we come here this morning and everything that we've already acknowledged and confessed is that you are God and you are on your throne and you have made us for yourself. And Jesus himself, when he stood on earth, told us that we can do nothing without you. And Father, we've already experienced this week trying to do everything without you. And so I pray that you would bring us this morning by the work of your spirit, back into the midst of your presence so that we might gaze upon you and see you in your power and your holiness and in your beauty. Father, I pray that we would be caught um, with wonder and awe before you and that it would bleed out from this place throughout our lives, that it would change us. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I read a story um, just a few weeks ago about a Methodist pastor who he was sort of dig, he wanted to dig back through. He's kind of a point in his life where he was starting to be curious about um, some of his ancestors. And so he started digging back through and trying to find out more about his ancestors. Maybe you've done that in your family or you have like a, a family historian. My uncle, my dad's brother is sort of the family historian and He's traveled around the world trying to track down who are the Udodges, right? Uh, there's not a lot of us out there. And, and so maybe you've done some of that in your own family. And so he was digging back through and he has, you know, figured out kind of where his ancestors had come from and why they settled where they settled and sort of the facts, right, about, you know, how long they lived and what they did and all that kind of stuff. But there was one thing that 
just caught his attention. And that he, he saw this one phrase that was written in a lot of the journals and the letters and the correspondence from his family as he dug back through them. And it was a little phrase. And you know how families can sometimes um, adopt these phrases that only your family uses? And like to everyone else, they sound kind of bizarre. Uh, this is one of the, this is kind of one of, you may be thinking of some of those phrases right now. Like if you were to say these in front of other people, they're like, what are you talking about? Well, this was kind of one of those phrases he kept running across and he was like curious about what it meant. And the phrase was this, going marveling. Go, it's kind of hard to say, going marveling. And what he found was that basically his family had this practice and they had this tradition of on Sunday afternoons, um, really for generations, either together or, or by themselves, they would go out for these long walks. And on those walks, the, the purpose of them was not to get exercise. It wasn't to like get things done. The purpose of those walks was just to pay attention, to just look around, to just notice stuff that they hadn't noticed before. And often they would take things with them. They would take like a wildflower, they would take a stone, Um, or different things that they saw, and they would bring them back home, and at the end of the day, they would talk about the things that they saw, um, the things that they they witnessed, maybe that they had noticed for the first time, and they called it going marveling. And I know that sounds like, you know, when I first read it, I was like, that sounds really quaint. That sounds very Little House on the Prairie, right? Um, But I actually think that that practice, and and particularly that description of that practice, is uniquely Christian. That we are ones who go about, or should go about, with our eyes wide open, marveling all the time. I um, I had the privilege this week of of sharing ice cream with a seven-year-old boy. And who, was, who reminded me, soon to be eight, and when you share ice cream with a seven-year-old boy, you learn a lot of things. And I learned about green anoles and that their jaws are surprisingly strong. And I learned about the percentage of the population of the world that consumes bugs and insects And I also learned about, if you want to join that percentage, how to properly season mealworms. I learned about katydids and chameleons, and I learned how to make a sword out of wood. And what I realized during that conversation is that I don't look around and see the way that often children do. And they're mesmerized by things that as we get older and we get busier, we start to ignore. Because I'm always in the rush to accomplish or to do or get done the next thing. There's a, um, a book that some of you may have read by the author Marilyn Robinson called Gilead. And it, it won a Pulitzer Prize a few years ago. And it's about a, a pastor who... Um, is writing a letter really to his son because he knows he's not going to be able to see his son grow up. And so he's telling him just about the world. He's telling them, he's basically telling him all he would want to tell him if he had the time to tell him. 
And there's this one line that has always uh, stuck with me. He, he, it, it's so simple, but it kind of captures everything that he wants to say. He says, this is an interesting planet. It deserves all the attention you can give it. This is an interesting planet, and it deserves all the attention you can give it. And this morning, I just want to ask you this question. Isn't it strange and beautiful and wonderful to be alive? Isn't it strange and wonderful and beautiful to be alive? And I know it's also, it can be sad, and it can be lonely, and it can be terrifying. I know. But isn't it unbearably beautiful and also amazing that we are simply alive? Shouldn't we be able to say with the poet Mary Oliver, when it's over, I want to say of my life, I was a bride married to amazement. And I think this morning, what I want to get across to us, based on what we've already talked about in the last few weeks, is that Christians of all people should be ones who go about marveling. And that our ability to do that and our ability to wonder because of the God that we actually serve and the God that we actually worship is something that propels us to proclaim and embody the good news of Jesus. So let me ask these questions this morning. What do we mean when we say wonder? What is that? Why is it crucial in our lives? And then how do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate it in our lives? What is wonder? Why is it crucial? And how do we cultivate it? What is, what is wonder? It's not a word um, we use maybe in this particular sense all the time. And so what I mean when I say wonder is wonder is a sense of awe and it is a sense of reverence that's sparked by something that is beautiful or unexpected or unfamiliar or outside of our control or inexplicable. You've had those experiences before. When you're struck by wonder because what you're gazing at is outside of you to such a degree that you're like Job, that you put your hand over your mouth and you stop talking. The wonder inevitably, because of that, wonder leads us to humility. Because wonder essentially tells us that we're not the center of the universe. There's something bigger than us. There's something greater than us. That that wonder leads us to humility. It tells us that we're not the center of the universe And one of the hardest things for me to remember as I go about my normal day, and maybe you experience this as well, one of the hardest things for me to remember is that I'm not the center of the universe. That not everything revolves around me. That not everything is about particularly me. But if we want to sum up what wonder is according to the Bible, and the Bible talks about it a lot and shows it to us a lot, the most, I think, accurate description that the Bible uses about wonder is this phrase, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Um, now, when we talk about fear, you know, there's a sense in which I just said a few minutes ago that we could stand before the throne of God without fear. Well, the Bible uses the word fear in a couple of different senses. And one of those is what we normally think of and talk about when we say fear And that's the fear that is basically a panic that's induced by some sort of threat. Like somebody's running at you with a knife, I'm afraid, right? But there's also this fear that is more along the lines of what I'm talking about this morning. And I think what the Bible is talking about when it talks about fear of the Lord. And it's the the sense of standing um, before God 
in complete captivity and awe. It's the sense of uh, amazement that comes from like getting a glimpse of his power and his holiness. And the Proverbs tells us that this, this thing, it's what we do um, when we come here. It's what we're, at least our goal of what we're doing when we come here to worship God is to be reminded of that. Is to catch a glimpse of that again, to see him again for what he really is. And the Proverbs tell us that this fear of the Lord, this wondering at him, this standing at all in amazement of him, is actually the beginning of wisdom. That if you want to be wise in this world, if you seek wisdom, that it's, this is where it starts. It starts with actually fearing the Lord, of being in awe of the Lord, of standing in amazement before the Lord. And this is what is happening to Job very dramatically and very vividly in this passage. So maybe you've already figured it out, but to wonder in the sense that we're talking about it is not simply to gaze at something that is pretty. It's not walking just simply through a field of flowers. It's not just looking at something that's beautiful. It might also be looking at something that is, at first to us, grotesque and unbearable and outside of our comprehension and, be, and, and, and strange to us. And what spurns wonder is that very thing, is that this thing is outside of my control. So to wonder is to see God in all of his glory and to long to be with him. It's to, it's to both tremble before him and then also in the same breath to marvel at the fact that Jesus has made a way possible through the forgiveness of my sins and through the resurrection for me to come and stand before this God. Wonder, I'll say it again, is awe and reverence that is sparked by gazing at God and his glory and his power and his holiness. It is the beginning of wisdom because it is the fear of the Lord. So why is it crucial for us? Well, I mean, I think it's crucial that we talk about this because I think and there's a lot of ways in which our senses are very dulled. I think there's a lot of ways in which when we look at our context and we look at our culture that wisdom is not found in the fear of the Lord, that instead somebody is seen as wise if he or she has a simple explanation for everything. That to, be, that to be the one who is truly wise is very autonomous and self-sufficient. That we're expected to master and control everything or at least be able to appear to do so. That we've left no room for wonder, and I think because wonder terrifies us. It terrifies us to think, as Job finds out about himself, that there's a sense in which he is very small. And it shouldn't be surprising that this is um, the case for us because we've grown up, I mean, if you think about it, like most of us, if you've grown up in this country, you've grown up in a country that um, invented air travel, that produced the automobile, that really helped spark space exploration, that gave us the internet, Right? That all of these things that we've, we've done and we've created that are wonderful and that are beautiful, they've also, in a sense, made us think, what's left to wonder about? We've got this. 
we can do this. We can handle this. And yet we, we come here this morning, we come to worship the true and living God. And what we're saying when we do that is that he is a God who has spoke creation into being out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, out of, there wasn't anything and he made it and he spoke it into being. That we worship a God who says he never slumbers and he never sleeps. That we worship a God who the Bible says at this very moment knows the exact number of hairs that are on your head. That we worship a God who keeps all of your tears in a bottle. That we worship a God who took on flesh and walked among his creation. Who sympathized with our weaknesses. Who submitted himself to the wages of our sin, only to rise three days later, conquering for all eternity sin and death. Who ascended into heaven and is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And who has all rule and authority and power placed underneath his feet. And who sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us. So that at this very moment, those of us who are in Christ have the power of the resurrection, the resurrection living inside of us at this very moment. And yet there's little room for wonder, right? Because there's, you know, there's, there's planes to catch, there's bills to pay. There's things that we have to get done. And I'm afraid that busyness, the reason we talk about this is because I'm afraid, um, because I see it in my own life as well, that busyness and fatigue and fear wage war against wonder. And they wage war against all. And so here is Job, and Job is dealing very acutely with what he cannot comprehend and he cannot understand. If you don't know the story of Job, go back and read it. Job was... um, his life, to say the very least, was, was complex and complicated, and he did not understand or comprehend at all what was happening to him and why it was happening to him. He had friends trying to tell him why. They were almost always wrong. Maybe, you, I mean, maybe you're here this morning, and the reason you're here is because you feel that very same way, is that you're puzzled by your life. It's interesting to see what God does with Job. The God starts by asking him, I mean, go back and read these last few chapters of Job. I wish I could have printed all of them there, but I just took a little sampling. But God starts by asking him this really interesting question. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Here's Job, who's he's experienced a lot of heartache and a lot of hardship and a lot of tragedy, and he's confronted by God who asked him this question, is it possible that I know something that you don't know, Job? Let me start by asking you the question, were you there when I laid the foundation of the world? And then he goes on and he asks him all of these questions. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? When, I, when, when the seas were formed, um, Who put the boundaries on the seas? Who put the earth on its foundation? That he just goes on and on and on to Job. It's almost relentless and it's almost, it is uncomfortable. That you think about Job standing there kind of going like, but why, like why did the, 
And God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And he just unloads. This is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I've created. And finally, he gets to the point where basically God is saying to him, Job, what I want you to do is I want you to look at me. I want you to really look at me. And what's the point? That God is saying, listen, Job, you are finite in your being and you are finite in your understanding. You're limited in your being and you're limited on your understanding. And Job, wonder takes his breath away. He puts his hand over his mouth. It makes you realize there is more to your circumstances than can possibly meet your eye. And it's a continual reminder that we live in a world that is bigger and more mysterious than we can possibly understand. And every square inch of it belongs to the one who asked that question, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Without wonder, we become enslaved materialists. What we can see and what we can handle and what we can control is all that matters. And inevitably, that makes us think and makes us feel the pressure that we alone are God. That this existence is up to me. That's a lot of weight to bear. What God is doing to Job in this passage is incredibly kind. He's showing him who he is. The pastor and author Eugene Peterson, he he puts it this way. He says this, No matter how much we travel throughout creation and no matter how many pictures we take of its flowers and mountains and no matter how much knowledge we acquire, if we fail to cultivate wonder, we risk missing the very heart of what is going on. Without wonder, we approach life as a self-help project. We employ techniques and we analyze gifts and potentialities. We set goals and assess progress. Spiritual formation is reduced to cosmetics. Without wonder, the motivational energies for living well get dominated by anxiety and guilt. Instead of being formed by the spirit that hovered over the waters that raised Jesus from the dead, we are malformed into lives of moral workaholism and pious athleticism. But when we wonder, we lay our hand over our mouth like Job because it causes us, if only for a minute, to just stop talking, to lose our speech and to realize, I am of small account, says Job. And yet at the same time, God is talking to me. To wonder is to hold those two things in your hand, to stand in awe of him and to say, I am nothing before you, and yet you are speaking to me. How do we cultivate this in our lives? How do we cultivate wonder in our lives? I'm just going to leave you this morning with with two things, and they both also begin with W. All right? Lots of W's going on. So word and world, word and world. How do we cultivate wonder in our lives? Word and world are the two things I want to end by talking about. If Job has this encounter with God in the midst of his confusing and complex life, it means that what we want for ourselves is to daily encounter God in the midst of our confusing and complex life. 
And my question to you this morning is, where do we encounter him? And the first place that we need to encounter God in the way that Job encounters God is that we want to, we want to encounter him in the place where he's most clearly revealed himself to us, and that's in his word. That if God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has written things to us to describe what he's like, then we want to pay attention to that, right? There, that we often maybe catch ourselves saying, you know, I couldn't believe in a God that was like this or, or like this. And when we encounter God in his word, sometimes he will baffle us. Sometimes he will confuse us. Sometimes we may not even like what we see. After all, he's God and we're not. And that's the point. And so we encounter him in his word. And I think that, I mean, I, I certainly don't want this to turn into a session where I'm saying, you, just got, you guys just need to read your Bible more, let's pray. Um, but there's a sense in which we need to hear, I want to know God. And I want to hear what he's like. And I want to stand in awe before him. And what I want to tell you this morning is that we have to be a people who love his word and who meditate on his word. And for centuries that this is what Christians have done is that they've meditated on his word and they've memorized his word and they've talked about his word and they've poured over his word. And we we have to be people who do the same thing. My son the other day, he um, had just finished a, a book and he was asking, what should I read next? I'm thinking about reading something else. And we were sitting in my bedroom, and I have a, a small bookshelf in there where I keep some of the books that I'm using at the moment. And I'm kind of looking at it and seeing if anything's age-appropriate for him or if, like that would catch his interest. And, and then I was just kind of like, you know what? Um, you, we had just, we've studied through the Gospel of John, and I'm utterly fascinated um, with this gospel and like the moment I stopped preaching it, I wanted to preach it again because it seems inexhaustible. And so I said, you should read the gospel of John. And he was like, like the whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, it's not that long. I mean, you could like read it this afternoon. And what happened is he was looking at my bookshelf and I have this commentary on the gospel of John that is a doorstop. I mean, it's like this thick, <laughs> And it says clearly on the side, the Gospel of John. And he's looking at that going like, there's no way I'm going to read that thing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, the actual Gospel of John. And as, we were, as I was thinking about that and how short the Gospel of John is, and I was looking at this book that's like 1,200 pages, and I was thinking of the many, 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 many books that have been written on that one Gospel. I was thinking about God's Word is living and it is active. And one man can sit down or one woman can sit down and write 1,200 pages about it and barely scratch the surface of it. And all I'm saying to us is like, we should pay attention to that. You could lose your life in Exodus. You could lose it in Revelation or Matthew because they are inexhaustible, because they are inspired by God's Holy Spirit to tell you and reveal himself to you. To cultivate wonder is to go marveling in the Bible. We need to go marveling in the Bible. It is inexhaustible. But to cultivate wonder, we need to take that 
that marvel that we get as we encounter God in his word, and we need to take it and that sense of awe into the world. And there's a lot of things we can talk about, and I'm already running out of time, so let me say it this way, um, that we take that sense of awe and that wonder into the world, and what it causes us to do every morning when we walk out the door is that we begin to see the world differently. That means we begin to see people differently. That, that we, we, we have this sense of wonder because we have stood before God um, and we've seen him in his beauty and his power and his holiness and we've been accepted by him through the work of his son Jesus. This world becomes this beautiful, wonderful, messy place that's full of opportunity. And the people that are in it are not just people that are in our way. And we have this amazing capacity to put people in a box. We can look at them and almost instantly, you probably did it this morning, without even knowing you did it during the passing of the peace as you saw someone and your whole internal composition said, I know what they're like and and who they are based on what they look like and what they're wearing. And wonder does this because we, we, we encounter Jesus in the Bible and what we see Jesus doing as he calls followers and he calls disciples and he approaches people is that Jesus goes to people that nobody else in their society would have gone towards. Jesus chooses followers and disciples that did not fit any leadership paradigm. And if we get that and we grasp that, we look at people differently. We don't think about necessarily, the first thing is not necessarily appearance or skin tone or how many letters are before or after their name. We think about them as an individual who's made in the image of God, who has dignity. And, you know, I was talking to somebody this week who um, works with cancer research and, and cancer patients, and he was talking about how it can just become very you know, you're, you're doing this, this work and it, it can become easy to forget about that there's people on the other side of that. As crazy as that is, we know that that could be true. And he said, one of the things I do is I stop some days and even ask other people to join me and we look out the window and we watch as people walk into the building and out of the building. And we think about them as an individual and them as a person and we look at the expression on their face and we think about our work is a part of it, it's it's a part of their life. It's affecting their life. That's that's what wonder does. That's what it produces. But to cultivate wonder as we take this into the world means that we put ourselves in the midst of the world. And I think that there it's no doubt that throughout the Bible there's just illustration after illustration of God's creation and how it affects us. And I, I know that I, I don't, my goal is to not make you all people who love the outdoors. But my goal is to say that there are times in which to cultivate wonder, we have to rest and we have to put down our screens and we have to step out of our air-conditioned boxes and we have to go walk around his world and just look at a tree and say, God made that. He knows every leaf on it. He knows everything about it. It belongs to him. If that doesn't strike wonder in you, (laughs) I don't know what will. 
There's no doubt that it does because he's the one who made it. Wonder proclaims and embodies the gospel of Jesus because it keeps us in a state of awe. And it keeps us in a state of reverence. We started this morning, and I'll end with these words. We started with singing a song that says this, This is my Father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would guard us and you would keep us from falling asleep, from closing our eyes um, to what is all around us, to asking some of the big questions that you even asked uh, to your servant Job, to truly putting ourselves before you and, and standing in awe of your power and your holiness and your beauty. And Father, I pray that um, you would help us to do that with one another. That you would help us to cultivate more wonder in our lives. That you would help us to fight against um, busyness and feeling like everything is left to us. I pray that you would give us time. um, Time to think. Time to contemplate. Time to go for a walk. Time to remember that you are God and we are not. Father, I pray that it would Bring our minds to Jesus, the one who we encounter here this morning at this table. It's in his name we pray. Amen.